0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to It's Kind of a Funny Story. I'm Aisha.
1: And I'm Mariam. Each week, we'll delve into moments in history where pop culture and politics collide. So yalla, let's go. Yalla.
0: What have you been, like, watching?
1: I always take my TV racks from you. <laughs> um, what have I been watching? Nothing. Well, actually, that's not true. Um, I finally started The Alienist, which is something you would hate, uh, because it's super creepy and disturbing. Um, is it violent? It's gory no, a good. little bit. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, right, not but for it's, me. It's, um, it's basically it takes place, I think, I want to say late 1800s, um, and it's, So back in the day, they used to consider mental disorders um, to be caused by people being alienated from their true selves or something. So people who study mental disorders are called alienists. And I'm checking if that's actually true or if that's just how the TV show sets it up. Yes, 1986 new york city oh
0: recently oh i thought this was like an 1800s 1896 London. i
1: said 1986 1896, oh,
0: 1896. okay 1896
1: so like peaky blinders era maybe yeah sort of um okay, I'm definitely but it takes place this. in new york yeah yeah uh <laughs> but it's daniel brule luke evans oh, daniel um Br- yeah and uh, dakota fanning isn't it
0: is that chris evans gay brother
1: uh well i know there's a luke evans and I know that he's gay, but I don't think this is the same Luke Evans because he's British and the Evans oh, brothers okay. are Australian. So this is a different no, Luke Evans, but is gay. you are
0: confusing um Hemsworth with Evans. I do that sometimes. Dang it. In fact, all the time.
1: Because Hemsworth there is a Chris is Australian. Evans.
0: Chris Evans is Boston. He's American. Luke <sighs> Evans. need a flow
1: chart. I need yeah, a flow need- chart. Oh, wait, should we,
0: should we rank our Chris's? I feel like I could guess yours, but I want to know yours. Well, let
1: me pull up the Chris's because I always forget one. Um.
0: <laughs> if, they're, if you've forgotten them, they don't, they don't belong on the list. Like, clearly, they're forgettable. Um, I can tell you oh. mine. Mine okay, is kind of yours. random. Well, no, it's not. Um, Chris Pine. Just yep. let's get it out there from the beginning. Chris Pine is yep. far on the top. Uh, then it's Evans. Then it's Chris Pang, who was in Crazy Rich Asians and was in Palm Springs, the movie, the yeah. Andy Samberg movie that came out this weekend. He, he would be higher on the list if he was in more things. I need him to be in more things. Hollywood won't give me what I need. Um, and then it's James Marsden, who looks like he should be named Chris anyway. Interesting. What a hot take. Yeah. Oh, and then Hemsworth at the bottom. I'm sorry,
1: Hemsworth. You're just kind of there, you know? Interesting, because I feel like... Hemsworth has the most personality. You think? I think. I maybe I may be projecting with his characters. He just plays really.
0: Yeah. Like Thor I feel is I, fun. I
1: think yeah Thor I think that's the thing Thor to me is really fun, um, in a way that I feel like Iron Man is too much personality. Like I couldn't be Pepper Potts. Like that's she's she's badass. Honest, but like, could Bob I be also
0: could be Pepper Pot. I mean, She's like, there's a Yeah, yeah. She All could not movies. put up.
1: With you know like, know having she didn't to do remember that much. being in the movies. Yes, I do remember when she forgot she was. Like this.
0: And I, I And it. I was like
1: rewatching it because again, Avatar like stands everywhere. Like I was watching it last week. That is true. And I was paying attention to her character, like in the second um, one with the in the Ultron one, and she just you could tell it was really half there. She was collecting that check. She was putting in her like four days of filming and piecing out, and then just being um, like, "Bye."
0: I seem to remember. I know there was a contract dispute where Terrence Howard from Iron Man one basically he wanted so much more money than everyone in Iron Man two that they just replaced him with Don yeah, Chico. yeah, they did. And I think with Gwyneth Paltrow, it was before Spider Man Homecoming, where she I think she was asking for a raise or she just wanted to leave. Yeah. So then they introduced. Um, Spider, uh, Spider-Man's aunt Aunt May as Marissa yeah. Tomei and she had like a little flirting thing with Robert Downey Jr. in the movie and that was meant to be like an introduction to a new relationship if they had to kill off Pepper Potts and then I think the contract disputes worked out okay so they let her come back in but Gwyneth Paltrow definitely could not name like 10 Marvel
1: characters. No 100% I'm telling you she like put in her week of filming and peaced out um, and like, Bye.
0: She recognizes Samuel L. Jackson and that's it
1: yeah, yeah. I I mean I respect it in that sense. Like she 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 did the bare minimum and got her check and got Jack. Yeah, she put it and, all in Goop. Bounced. Yeah, she put it all in Goop. God bless her. Um <laughs> my mother finds the show super fascinating. Um Goop. I don't think oh, she's going to show? adopt any yeah, I don't think she's going to adopt any of her practices, but she did find it really intriguing. Um I'm glad my mom's- Okay, your Chris's, your Chris's. Oh, yes, my Chris's. (sighs) Okay, so I don't think I've thought about it as deeply as you have, to be totally honest. I think, uh, I think I'm going to put Hemsworth above Pine. I think Pine is too perfect looking for me. It freaks me out. He has a perfect face. It disturbs me. And I think I need a little bit of edge, which I think Hemsworth has the most of, I think then it's Pine. I agree. Then I think it's Evans and then Chris Pratt all the way deep down at the bottom. Oh, I obviously. forgot about Chris Pratt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, everyone forgets about Chris Pratt. I only remember him because I hate him so much these days. Um, you
0: know, I, like when people ask me why, I can't actually put it into words. Like at some point I was able to describe, oh, why I don't like Chris Pratt. But now I'm just like,
1: ugh. Mm. I think the way things went down with Anna Ferris, I think. Shady. Yeah, that was like very uncool um he got super christian in a way that was homophobic um Mm -hmm. that was a big problem outwardly
0: but he was part of a church that was he was condoning uh, yeah like he was
1: part of a church that was like really really homophobic and he wouldn't come out against those um
0: the church yeah
1: yeah against the church so i think there was that um
0: there's something about the fact that he married a Schwarzenegger that makes me yeah. feel like he wants to run for office someday. And it's like kind of like a, a whole, like it's planned. And that makes me uncomfortable a little bit.
1: Yeah, I don't know. He's definitely the worst of the bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, I also don't know if I agree that James Marsden looks like he should be a Chris. Elaborate, okay. I okay. feel like he does look like a James. Like there is a, a type of, of man that looks like a James. It's very um, kind of elegant and regal and chiseled. Whereas a Chris is much more all-American looking. I don't think James is all-American looking in the way that Evans and Pine are in particular.
0: I don't know if I agree with that. See, James is from Oklahoma.
1: No, I know. Um, I know that. I'm pulling up. I mean, Hemsworth is from Australia, Australia. Not- <laughs> as a, like all American, <laughs> as all American get. Australia, I'm going fully just like by face, by like face. I'm pulling I'm up Jean James Marston's Morrison. fat face again okay yeah
0: james martin i guess has played like a perfect prince in enchanted and i don't see any of the chrises playing a perfect prince they would play like the rugged mm-hmm. like stable boy yes. who's going to like rescue you from like being married to the boy which is prince.
1: much more my aesthetic anyways i'm more of a stable boy kind see, of a gal than a see. prince yeah, yeah. I, are you a prince good. or are you a prince or a stable boy kind of gal okay, okay. <laughs> uh,
0: no um i I don't know how to describe it. I just see James as a Chris. I think someone actually I mean, I understand. encouraged me to think this way. And then it's just been stuck in my brain. James Marsden should get the fame and the excitement that Chris's get because he's done superhero stuff. He's done leading man stuff. He's done musicals, Hairspray, I'll never forget. Um, and he was in Westworld and Dead to Me. Like he's just done so much stuff. Like his body of work is so wide that I just wish people would take him seriously. Or more but sharing. I wonder
1: if then he would get lost in the Chris's if he was a Chris. Like, I think it might dilute his range because the other Chris's as amazing as they are. I don't think they have his... Le- they definitely don't have his level of range. Yeah. Um, and so I think that there just is a category of Chris's that are really good at a few things and are super charming and have great faces. And that's... Again, like- excluding Chris Pratt. Excluding
0: um, <laughs> Chris Pratt.
1: <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> James Marsden is his own... His own level. his Okay, yeah. I'm going to think about that. Yeah, reflect on it. We'll come I back like to something. it next week.
0: Um, I love these in-depth like, academic conversations I get to have with you, Miriam. This is it's... what
1: our degrees got us, truly.
0: <laughs> this is what all of my degrees got us. Um, okay, but today we are going to talk about...
1: Chicks. Oh Dixie Chicks, Texas, Texas, the Iraq War, Cancel Culture, all of the above. That's what today is. So many things. Um, Aisha, I'd love to start by asking you Mm -hmm. what country music means to you. Like, what do you think of what is it like? What has it played any kind of role (laughs) in your life? I just I'd like to set the stage because we grew up in very different places. So give a little bit of a backdrop um of your background and then how much country music would have ever bled into it if at all,
0: or maybe wow. it did a lot, I don't know. Um, okay, um, well, I'm Nigerian, and then I naturalized to the US uh, in 2015. So I'm also American, and I had no exposure to country music until I was like 19 years, old when I went to college. Um, and I always thought of country music as this like super like conservative, small c, super conservative, super right wing, like misogynistic kind of genre and I had no interest in it. Like I remember in college when you were trying to meet new roommates, you'd be like, I'm into all kinds of music except for metal and country. <laughs> <laughs> That's what like everyone would say and I I like typed that too, not knowing any metal or country songs really. Um but quite recently, I've gone really into country because of my girl, Casey Musgraves. Yeah, huge fan. Huge, huge fan of Casey. Um and I don't know, her kind of music, because she's very very into, like, you know, everyone is allowed into this big tent, you know, we're all human beings, you know, God loves us, whoever your God is, and, you know, it doesn't matter if you're straight, you're gay, you're bi, doesn't matter where you come from, or if you are, like, southern, like, you can participate in uh, country culture, and she, I don't know, she's just really fun, and so I've been, like, letting country music more into my life, like, slowly, like, this whole Dixie Tricks research, I'm now big fan of the Dixie Chicks. Um, and then, I, I don't know, whenever a favorite uh, musician of mine did a song that was like country-ish, I would also listen to it and love it. So, but have I been to like a country festival or like concert? Oh, we went to Casey Musgraves together last year. We did. We saw her we perform. Did. It was we amazing. It was nice. It was fun. That was really fun. Um, but But that was at a festival, but like I've not gone to like Oh, I'm gonna go see Toby yeah. Keith in concert. I'm gonna go see uh, mm, uh, Kid Rock. Is he, <laughs> Is he country? I mean, he has country energy
1: for sure. He's <laughs> like trying <laughs> to. He's trying to like book concerts during COVID and like oh. Oh, yeah. I think that's Kid Rock. Let me check before I start. There's Vanilla Ice did it, but yeah, I think
0: Kid Rock did it too. And then there was that time, um, Atlanta Georgia Line with Nelly. Do you remember that song, Cruise? I
1: do. That was such a hit. Oh, this is what it was. Kid Rock has a bar in Nashville that wanted to open during COVID and is trying to sue, and then they lost their beer permit. <laughs> Just when you Is that not the most Nashville feud you've ever heard in your entire life? <laughs>
0: Why, like, you know what, we'll get, we'll get into it. So yeah, what about you, being from Texas, what does country music mean to you?
1: Yeah, um, I, don't, I hadn't thought about it a lot. I think it was just always around. Um, but I do think that this is one of those things where I realized, I was like, I don't think I felt a part of Texas culture in so many ways growing up. Um, I didn't fit the mold. I didn't have a lot of friends who would have exposed me to it. Um, but it was always sort of just in my space, like as I got older and I would go to dances or as you would, you know, play play the radio, like it was certainly there. Um, but I think I actually adopted a certain resentment towards it because it felt like something I couldn't be included in, right? Like to your point, I think a lot of country music for a long time, and we'll talk about it, um, was meant for a certain type of person. And I, I didn't feel included in that tent. Um, so I think I actually had a lot of those same attitudes where I was like, "Oh, country music, blah, blah, blah. Whereas I have a cousin of mine who also grew up in Texas and he really identifies with this Texas identity and loves country music. He drives a pickup truck, he goes to country concerts, he's like the other end of the spectrum where I think it was for him part of his way of connecting his texas and his american identity um and i just didn't take that same approach so i think actually as i moved to the east coast and i spent more time without like not around texans i grew an appreciation for for that heritage almost in a way and for that tradition um, heritage that's a word that's we'll a word we'll turn ter- <laughs> well we will um but that's how you that's how you feel like as a texan like there is so much Texas pride. Like, I don't know if you remember, I used to make this comment in college of, yeah, I'm an international student. Texas is the greatest nation on earth. Oh and my God, I remember that. I thought you were such an asshole. Hated it. <laughs> <laughs> but I just like, and I didn't feel that way when I lived here. I didn't think any of those thoughts. And then I got to the East Coast and I was like, I'm a Texan. So I think I've had this like kind of complicated journey with it. Um, but I was listening to their new music today with Jack Antonoff, which we'll also talk about. It's so good. Yeah. And there's, there's like a whole spectrum of country music. And in fact, Texas country is really different from other types of country music, not an expert. So I won't like share too much about that. Um, But I can, I can certainly follow up if people are very curious. But I know that Texas country is, is really different from other country music. And some countries more bluegrass, some of it is more like kind of old school country, some of it is a little bit more poppy. Um, But anyways, yeah, so that's sort of my feeling about country um and I really appreciate sort of this new wave quote-unquote um that we're seeing um and people Um, taking those styles and uh kind of taking it back and making it more inclusive um and using it to not just toe the company line and be super patriotic and pander and stuff like that
0: yeah. I mean, he's not from Texas, but he's from Georgia. But when I think about like country today, I think of songs like Old Town Road. And that's like, yeah. a perfect example of like yeah. country mixing with other genres and making this really good country song um, that can like extend all over the world. There's like, yeah, so many
1: versions of it. Um, oh, he's 21 years old, a child. He's done a lot in a very <laughs> short amount of time.
0: <laughs> he's a child. Um, okay, well today we are we're talking about the the Dixie Chicks, the Chicks, and um, as you know, this podcast is about events in history where politics and pop culture have collided. And I think that the incident as we're going to call it on this episode, this, the incident yep. when um, the Dixie Chicks were quite um, open about their feelings towards George Bush and the Iraq War, is a really, really great. Um, example of a moment in history when politics and pop culture collided and what the aftermath was for everything in in both spheres.
1: So Yeah, and just a note, uh, so they have changed their names to the Chicks. When we're talking pre-2020, we are just going to refer to them as the Dixie Chicks, which is what they were called, Um, but we're really excited about their name change. I really like how the way the Chicks sound, Um, but yeah, just to clarify, we'll call it the Dixie Chicks up until they... Switch they their changed names. their name. They
0: switched their names about a month ago in yeah. 2020. So, so we'll call recent. them Dixie the Chicks. Yeah, for now. <laughs> I mean, it's actually kind of hard not to, like you have to keep on remembering, oh, it's the Chicks, it's the Chicks, it's the Chicks, chick. but everyone will figure it out.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, so I'll start um, by talking a little bit about who they are, where the name came from, what Dixie means, because I think it's all just important background. So the Chicks, formerly the Dixie Chicks, um, so they're an American country pop group. They started in 1989, so they've been around for a long time, and they're from Dallas, Texas. Um, And they were actually originally four women, one bandmate left. They replaced their lead singer, but now it's uh, Marty McGuire, Emily Strayer, and Natalie Maines. Um, They've won 14 Grammys, um, including five in 2007 for Taking the Long Way, which we'll talk about in more depth. Um, and, uh, by March, 2020, uh, with 33 million certified albums sold, they became the best selling female band and best selling country group in the U S since 1991. So they are, they are, they huge. are huge. They are a, an institution. And we'll talk about even in their hiatus, even during the incident, even post incident, they have stayed an institution. Um, one thing I so, do love is that two of
0: them, Marty and Emily are sisters.
1: Yeah, they are really
0: cute. In the documentary there's a documentary called shut up and sing that i watched this morning in preparation for this podcast and it's really cute to watch all the dynamics like uh between the two sisters and natalie and but they do seem like they're all related but um only two of them are sisters and natalie is the lead singer
1: yeah um so they were actually named the dixie chicks by one of the original band members laura lynch who isn't there anymore um and it's named after a uh studio album uh by the rock band Little Feet from 1973 called the Dixie Chicken. Um, so, you know, I tried to find what that connection was, wasn't very clear. Um, but, uh, Laura didn't end up sticking around past 95. Uh, why she left is a little murky, but it doesn't sound like it was any kind of contentious issue. Oh, okay. Um, it's a relatively amicable split. I don't know. I should have the, uh documentary touched on it or not no but.
0: they didn't even mention her at all it was like a destiny's child situation where oh, <laughs> yeah.
1: child band members are just gone um, um okay. but yeah she's the one who actually named it the dixie chicks um okay. so dixie um is a reference to southern u.s um particularly the states that were part of the confederacy um so there's three theories of where dixie came from um which okay. we'll talk about but dixie itself Um, became popular because in 1859, there was like a little ditty that was being sung, which was Away, 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 Down South in Dixie. Um, And it was just like a popular tune. And um, even Lincoln was like, it's one of the best tunes I've ever heard. So it was...
0: (laughs) Can you remind the audience what was going on in 1859? (laughs) Just for context? (laughs) There was also the American Civil War.
1: (laughs) I was like, there was a lot going on, but this was the jam. This was the... And this actually became the jam, the uno- like unofficial de facto national anthem for the Confederacy during the Civil War. Um, okay. So yes, it was, it was really everywhere. Um, and Emmett didn't invent the name Dixie, he just popularized it with this song um, that then became a symbol for the Confederacy. Um, so most likely the term Dixie came from the Mason-Dixon line, so anything below Pennsylvania. Um, and the Mason-Dixon line was drawn in 1767 um, so it's not actually directly related to uh, the Confederacy or the Civil War, but it, that's basically, it became the unofficial demarcation between Southern slave states and Northern free states. Um, mm-hmm. There's a few other theories, like the Louisiana currency, like the $10 note had D on it, like French for uh, 10, and D-I-X became, you know, they referred to those notes as Dixies. Uh, there was a uh, myth that there was a Manhattan plantation owner named Dix who was really nice to his enslaved workers, and they used to fondly refer to him um, and like his land as Dixie's land, but it's most likely a reference to the Mason-Dixon line. Um, so that's just a little bit of a history on uh, Dixie itself. Um, so, okay, jumping to the incident, um, as you refer to it, Aisha, which is how... <laughs> Uh, the A chicks refer to it too. Yeah, that's that they've sort of that's like how we call this whole. This what we call this whole thing. Um, so it's 2003. We are nine days before the invasion of Iraq. It's March 10th. Dixie Chicks are performing in London. Um, it's their first concert for their Top of the World tour um, in support of their sixth album, Home. And Maines uh, is on stage and says to her uh, London audience. "Quote: Just so you know, we're on the good side with y'all. We do not want this war, this violence, and we're ashamed that the, pres- uh, that the president of the United States is from Texas, meaning George W. Bush." Just explosion, yes. explosion.
0: Yes. Um, um, two things. One, during the documentary, I was looking at the incident because they filmed it, and I realized, oh my goodness, I've been in, in that venue. I was gonna um, ask Shepherd's yeah. Bush or
1: something. I think Shepherd's
0: Bush O2. Uh, our friend Alex and I went to see Aminé the rapper there last year. Amazing. So good. But also we felt like chaperones because everyone there was 16 years old and like really cool. And she and I were like, um, um, what? Uh, But it was really fun. Um, but do you, I don't think that when they said what they said, they thought it was a big deal. Like, no, it seemed very offhand. Like I think they were just prepared.
1: Yeah, I don't think, it doesn't seem like there was any kind of plan behind it. I don't know, did they, is that, did they say anything about that in the documentary?
0: Yeah, in the documentary, it's clear, like, the Guardian in the UK basically picked it up, and then AP picked it up and sent it to the US newspapers. Mm -hmm. That's how they found out about it. Like, it was a really random thing to say, and there were, like, one or two days where they were just, they just kept touring and didn't know it was a huge thing, and then all of a sudden, like, the country radio picked up on what she said, and that's when, Things started to take a turn, yeah, so they definitely it was so innocuous, I mean, they all agreed with it it wasn't like anyone was mad that she had said it, but they were just surprised yeah. that, um, that it would it would carry so much steam and I think the significance of it being in London at the time is that like um, at the time the Iraq war was so, so controversial in Europe, especially in the u k yeah. because um The UK did not want to follow George Bush into Iraq and to fight in Iraq, and it actually ruined the legacy of Tony Blair, the prime minister at the time, because he supported uh, George W. Bush. George W. Bush, and I know in February two thousand and three, the BBC estimated nearly a million people came out on one day to uh, protest against the war. So I think they were also feeling like they were in a different country that had like a huge anti-war sentiment, like London, the center of all the protests. So maybe they just felt like it. I don't think it was a thing they would have said if they were performing in, like, Texas. But they were like, we're in London. Agreed. Different crowd. We can say how we
1: feel here. And they, I mean, if you look at the words themselves, it says, we're on the good side with y'all. Like, referring to the, you know, to the London crowd. So I agree. I think that they were just like, we are in the safe space. These people agree with us. Like, you know, this should not be happening. Um, And they just made a comment about it. And I agree. This is, I think that, this is also pre-celebrity activism. This is pre-Twitter where people can be um, super engaged in real time and um, be having constant conversation. This is, well, conversation is a strong word for what happens on Twitter <laughs> if you ask me, but, <laughs> but you know, like this is, to your point, I think they went several days without realizing it was a big deal. Um, and you have to contextualize, like 2003 was a completely different world from where we are now, um, yeah. and celebrities getting involved with this. But. Um, in any event, like the level of shit hitting the fan was ridiculous. So just a couple of things that happened um, in a few days and weeks after the comment came out. Um, so not only did thousands of radio country radio stations blacklist them, you had a Colorado radio station suspending two DJs for even playing their music. Um, Jim Jacobs, who was the president of Jacob's broadcast group, said he was getting emotional phone calls from military families. Worth noting, all of these same radio stations were playing music um, at the same time from Tracy Lawrence, who had been convicted of spousal abuse uh, in 98. Like, they were playing a lot of problematic stars, but this was the one that they were like, we can't, this goes against our principles. Uh 76% of listeners polled in Atlanta said that they would return their CDs if they could. Lipton canceled a promotional contract with them. Oh, that They're, was a big deal were... in the
0: documentary, by the way. Yeah. Lipton like was filmed. The Lipton consultants were just, they were trying to negotiate their way out and they were basically saying Natalie needs to apologize.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: Natalie was like, I'm not sorry for what I said. Um and and she was having a hard time coming up with an apology that was true to her. And yeah. the, the Lipton cancellation was a huge deal. Yeah. Yeah. And the Red Cross um, cancellation as well. Like Red Cross refused a $1 million promotional partnership with them, which is a charity. Yeah. Like how can a charity refuse? Oh, because George W. Bush is like on the board.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and they, they claimed it was because um, they... Are meant to be kind of a neutral nonprofit, and they had, you know, sexy checks were no longer mm. neutral, so that like they couldn't take that money. It's, I mean, it's BS, right? Like, I mean, yeah.
0: the first thing you should just know is that everything is political. You cannot, you can't. There's
1: what is neutral, like
0: yeah, what does neutral mean?
1: Yeah, it's it. It is a privilege to say that you are neutral on something, um, yeah. it's, and it's a privilege not to feel
0: that like a position is compromising or infringing with your values or your beliefs or your personhood. That's yeah. actually... Anyway, please continue. Sorry for yes. that. Yes.
1: <laughs> no, but I, I think that, like, these are just a couple of the things that happened. They were getting death threats. They had to put up metal detectors at their concerts. Um, singers were having 24-hour security, being escorted everywhere. It was bonkers. Like, their lives were completely disrupted. And you have to contrast that with what other country singers were doing at the time, which was really leaning in, into the patriotic theme. Like, everyone was still... A few weeks into this whole thing in that patriotic honeymoon phase of like you know we're entering this war America's number one we are all together in this um and Toby Keith is singing things like courtesy of the red white and blue and uh, he wasn't the only one I think country music got really really heavily patriotic even for that genre around the time and then you've got the Dixie Chicks over here being like we don't support this war um Okay. At the risk of, of going down a different tangent, I just, Please. it's
0: just something, a conversation I'd love to have with you, but like, what does patriotism even mean at this point? Like as an <sighs> American singer, because yeah. it's patriotism, just like paying respect to the red, white, and blue and just thinking about how America is so great. Or is it like the willingness to step up and like confront whatever the country is doing that you think is wrong? The willingness to say, I think America yeah. is better than this. Yeah. I, 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 what Natalie is doing is more patriotic than
1: like singing along to the red, white, and blue. I 100% agree. I think that if you, I think if you are, first of all, if you think about American values, right, or what we claim are American values, it's people having a right to their opinion, being able to express it openly. And even George W. Bush was asked to like, respond to all of this. Um, And he said, yeah, they can say what they want. It's, this is America, whatever. I don't care. Um, He really, I think he literally said, I don't care what the Dixie Chicks, yeah. Uh, I really don't care what the Dixie Chicks said is what he what his response okay. was, Should be um, subtle. he's like, um, I want to do what I think is right for the American people. And if some singers or Hollywood stars feel like speaking out, that's fine. That's a great thing about America. Those are the words of George W. Bush in response to the Dixie Chicks. Um, so I, I agree. I think that people who are unwilling to confront um, the areas in which America has failed and where it can improve, um, I think that's patriotism. And I think it means that you are willing to take personal, financial, professional risk because you really care about this country and you care about its people. Um, And to just follow along with the herd or do the um, less risky or less controversial thing because you wanna kind of protect yourself um, is unpatriotic to me, fully. Um, And I I think that one thing that I've always thought about, um, I heard this line, which I think is so true, Americans in particular, but I think this is true of people, but I think Americans in particular are really bad at holding two truths in their head at the same time that seem diametrically opposite, right? You can be against the Iraq war and be pro-America. And at that time, that was not possible. That, and I would yeah. argue a lot of that is still true. Like people still don't think you can, like people don't think that you can love the troops and take a knee, but you can. Yeah, <laughs> you can. There,
0: there, are, there are people who still feel,
1: feel that way yeah um so i agree i think that they were extremely patriotic and i think what i love about this whole story and their progression is there's so many moments that they took a stand when it was unpopular to do so or when people thought like why are you why are you getting involved in this i'm sorry and back away yeah um and i think that's one of the reasons their legacy has stayed so strong so um i think it they kind of aged with the times in the right way they ended up on the right side of history because they stood up for these values too which is kind of cool to see. Um, and I, I, to your point, like they did, so yeah, the Lipton thing was a really big deal. A lot of these, you know, um, issues with, uh, corporate partners, like Maines did issue kind of some apologies, but you can see that she doesn't really feel comfortable. And then she ends up like really taking them back, especially in 2006. She's like, I don't think George W. Bush deserved my respect. Like, uh, you know, whatever. But, um, yeah, you could see that, you know, so George W. Bush comes out with a statement, like I said, where he said, um, I don't they can say what they want. This is America. It's fine. That same day is when that uh notorious cover came out in Entertainment Weekly. Or the naked ones. Yeah, they're yeah. posed naked and they have like those words all over them. So it's traitors, Saddam's Angels, Dixie Sluts, Proud American Hero, Brave, like just all over oh, them. them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I as an aside, I really love this quote I found. So Strayer, um this she's is a, one of the sisters. She's one of the, the sisters. Band. Yeah. She was talking about uh, when she she got a call from her ex-husband when the um, cover came out. And he said, well, what's going to happen the day the kids find that Entertainment Weekly cover? What are you going to tell them? Um, trying to like gotcha her a little bit. Um, and I she said, yeah, trying to shame her a little bit about it being like, what will the kids think? She said, well, I'll probably explain to them what happened to us and how you have to stand up for yourself when something like this happens. <laughs> and I just love that she, that that's how she sees it. Um, and they really just lived these values through a really, really tough time. Um, they were, can, like, people were canceling them left and right, which is something we'll, we'll talk about, canceling we someone. Cancellation. We'll talk about cancelation.
0: Yeah. It um, might be a good time to take a break, perhaps. Yeah. Um, like but before little...
1: we do, I just want to read my favorite quote that I ever read about them, Tell which me. was, uh, from the New York Times article that I read recently. And it says, they move with the energy of witches who could not be burned. And I just love that so much. Witch
0: energy, yes. Wow. That's a good place to to
1: pause it. Pause it. We'll be um, right back.
0: We, like people asked us like, are there sponsors? Why do you keep on having breaks? And I'm like, um, not yet, but
1: we're waiting on a few. Yeah, they're rolling through. Yeah, don't we'll worry I'm about it. manifesting some things in the end. <laughs> okay all right we'll be right back. right back we're back um i hope you enjoyed our hold music there will be sponsors there one day don't even worry about it um so okay we left off middle of the incident um we're gonna jump forward three years to 2006 um so this was 2006, 2007 was a really, really crucial period in this whole story. So the Dixie Chicks released a single, um, not ready to make nice and the album taking the long way, um, which was written in direct response to everything that they had been dealing with the last three years. Um, Cause they had, uh, throughout those three years, they were still, you know, being blacklisted and they were still yeah. like, people weren't over it. Um, so they, they wrote this music and people of course were very closely watching to see how it would do. Um, even as I was like doing all this research cause I couldn't remember how this whole thing played out. I was like, Oh my gosh, I hope it works. I hope it works. I hope they do well. And of course they did really, really well. So they debuted number one on the billboard 200 It sold over 2.5 million copies in the U S won five Grammys, which were like, they oh, were wow. nominated for five. They won five, um, including album of the year record of the year and song of the year. So they were, that's,
0: that's the Billie Eilish three yeah that's, it really that's is what you want to get
1: <laughs> yeah they were five out of five um and that's i mean it's incredible because you have to keep in mind as of 2006 many stations like i said were still refusing to play their music um so they earned all of this despite little to no airtime. um they did really well uh, abroad and in some northeastern markets but i mean they were really notably weak in their typical kind of southern states uh houston my hometown didn't even bother to sell their tickets um so you know it's crazy
0: when you think about a time when you really relied on uh radio stations to sell yeah. tickets i know we still do like i know like radio yeah, stations yeah. still sell a lot of tickets but i feel like if you're as big as the chicks in 2020 you can just put it on your website promote it on twitter and then people will buy the tickets or spotify, like spotify yeah hub like it will all work out
1: Yeah. I think it's, I, yeah, I'd be curious to know like what the dynamics of that are now, like how much do, uh, does radio time, uh, impact your ticket sales? And I mean, okay, so it's worth noting, they did a lot of promotion knowing that, uh, you know, radios weren't going to play their music. So they spent a lot of money and time, uh, going on, uh, you know, what am I thinking of? The uh, 60 Minutes and Larry King and they did stuff with MSN. They did stuff with uh, Amazon. They like really pushed pretty heavily um, to get the word out, but that doesn't account for their sustained power after that first push. Like they really did super well, obviously, um, for, for many weeks, and many months, and then went on to win all these awards. I think another thing that I thought was really interesting, I went down a lot of rabbit holes on this. So yeah, like the mainstream country radio stations, all of those usual powers that be were blacklisting them. But I came across um, a quote from Brian Everett, who is the director of music operations for Hastings Entertainment, which has 153 stores like all over the nation, many, many of which are right in the heart of, quote, George W. Bush territory. So uh, he was, I think he's based in Amarillo, Texas, which is, you know- small town Texas, Um, and he said that taking the long way was the company's top seller for weeks in a row. So it's interesting to think about, Like, I wonder if there's what's going on in that people won't outwardly support their music at this time, but people were still buying their CDs. Like they still, there were still hardcore fans that were devoted to them. I mean, you've got a lot of red states that are still buying their CDs, Um, but the company line is that, We are against the Dixie Chicks. So it's just an interesting dynamic to call out. Well, it
0: almost seems like their critics just happen to be the loudest, not necessarily Mm -hmm. the largest like group of people. Like it's just their critics were willing to spend hours of a day calling every single radio station threatening not to like threatening to like remove their support, whereas their fans, you know, may not have put in that much effort. Yeah. Um
1: which yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's that's what's that's what's really credited. Um to Their success, I was reading an article from two thousand and six, and they were saying that, yeah, certainly that promotional push at the beginning um, accounts for a lot of their popularity at the start, but their fans really ended up turning out for them um, so it's just an interesting consideration of public support versus you know behind the scenes support, and I think it also ties to cancel culture of um, you can still choose to watch certain movies or listen to certain artists that have been uh,
0: Publicly canceled, canceled, canceled.
1: yeah, Yeah, right. So, just an interesting thing that we'll we'll definitely circle back to. Um, The other thing that I dug into a little bit is what was the U.S.'s attitude towards Iraq at this time. Um, So, I did some Pew Research reporting. I found something from two thousand eight. I know. Um, I have no life whatsoever. Oh thank you. Um so yeah, the there was a Pew report that tracked American adults um across the US. What were their attitudes to uh using military force in Iraq? I think was a specific prompt. Um so in March 2003, which is when we were stepping into it all and this incident happened. Who um, was we though? I wasn't a citizen yet. I'm not gonna count myself. We, Who oh, was, I we? was uh, we I mean, listen, what how old I was You're ten, I was 10 years when old. this happened? You know, which is <laughs> <laughs> I have to think about now. we um, Weird to think about that I remember this time, but like, I didn't know any of this was going on. But if I asked my dad, um, who is not a country music person, um, mm-hmm. but he remembered this when I mentioned, I was like, "Oh, we're going to be speaking about the Dixie Chicks on our next episode and how they spoke out against the Iraq War." He's like, "Oh, I totally remember that." So if my dad yeah. remembered. You know, this clearly was a thing. Um, I think that's going to be my my metric of how big was it is if my Indian dad. <laughs> If your dad remembers. Was aware. So stay tuned. (laughs) I think every episode I'm going to use that as my benchmark. Um, Anyways, so yes, March 2003, um, 72% of Americans felt it was the right decision to go into Iraq. By March 2006, so right when this album is coming out um, and all of this, the new album is coming out, it was down to 45%. Um, March 2003, Americans thought the 88% of Americans thought the Iraq war was going well. 88%. 80 percent um, And by February 2007, which is when they won all those Grammys, 67% of Americans said that the Iraq war wasn't going well at all. Um, so I think that it's important to contextualize as well, like how Americans were feeling about the Iraq war and how frustrated that they were. Um, and they probably felt less less angst about supporting the Dixie Chicks because they were tapping into something that was really starting to brew under yeah. the surface and this country um, on the Iraq war. So I think that's just an, another interesting thing to keep in mind to, to contextualize um, their sort of rise and fall. Um, yeah,
0: I mean, charts. when you think about like public attitudes towards the Iraq war, whether in the US or outside of the US, like mm-hmm. there's definitely just a, a decline in terms of interest and excitement about this war. And I feel like the great Iraq war, like piece of media hasn't been made yet. like a movie or book or television show that really explains what happened in those weeks in 2003 or even before that the decision to go into Iraq and how it was connected to the Gulf War and all sorts of things. I think by the end of it a lot of people saw it as a sort of failure and even now in the U.S. at least when presidential candidates want to uh, gain support from younger demographics, they will tout how they didn't support the Iraq war and how they were against the Iraq war from the very beginning. Um, Bar- Barack Obama did that very successfully when it was him against Hillary and, of course, Bernie Sanders um, yeah. and uh, some other senators who have run. Or if they weren't senators yet, they will you know, point to uh, demonstrations they went to or things they did at the local level to say they didn't support the Iraq war. So it's one of those like moments where the Dixie Chicks have turned out to be absolutely correct and in in the right in many ways um so we're we're gonna fast forward to their comeback which is this year so 2020 it's their first album in 14 years and it's produced by one uh Jack Antonoff who is behind like he worked in the band Fun, he has his own band called Bleachers, he worked on Taylor Swift's 1989 album and also Reputation, but we don't talk about that. He worked on Lord's Melodrama, Carly Ray Jepsen's album. He's really good at like pop music that just yeah. works, especially Lana Del Rey's album, um, a very talented producer in my humble opinion. In 2016, they also performed at the CMAs with Beyonce, and uh, they appeared on one of Taylor Swift's songs from her album, Lover, last year. I didn't listen to the album, but I'm sure the song was good. (laughs) I'm sure. And uh, in the Netflix movie, Miss Americana, Taylor Swift even mentioned that throughout her career, executives and publishers were always telling her, don't be like the Dixie Chicks, don't get all political, like your country fans are your main fans. And... um, despite having like this amazing comeback in 2006, the Dixie Chicks weren't actually fully embraced by the country, um, like the country tent. And during that 2016 album, uh, 2016 performance with Beyonce, they were treated poorly backstage. Um, One of the people in the audience, Alan Jackson, who's a country singer I had never heard of, he walked out of the performance and tweeted, hashtag keep it country even though the song that they performed, which was Daddy Lessons from Beyonce, and then um, a little part of one of their songs, Long Time Gone, even though both songs are country songs, and I'll play a clip of it right here so you can hear it. Um, they, the people in the audience were like, this isn't real country, Beyonce isn't real country, Dixie Chicks aren't real country. So even as late as 2016, people were still being rude to them. Um, and there's a New York Times article by Amanda Hess, and I'm going to quote from it, uh, where she says, Amanda Hess is a culture reporter. She says, country is more than a genre. It is a culture steeped in conservatism, masculinity, and whiteness. When the Country Music Awards viewers complained that Beyoncé was not country, it meant the same thing as when Billboard removed Lil Nas X's "Old Town Road" from the country chart, and the Dixie Chicks performing with Beyoncé was seen as further,
1: yeah, like
0: a further reason to believe that they are not real country. And you know they've been through so much in the past seventeen years. They have this new album, uh, and they're so happy to be back that when. Um, when the protests started at the beginning of June, due to the well end of May, beginning of June, due to the death of George Floyd and all the Black Lives Matter protests, mm-hmm. they, they realized that the country was having this massive racial reckoning and they just decided that they were going to change their name. They simply became the Chicks. Um, and because they realized kind of back to your explanation of what the word Dixie means, they, they, they and their fans were like, we don't want this attachment to this name. We're just going to change our name. Um, and become the chicks and I don't know legally what went into that but I do know that's actually a huge deal for someone to completely change their name on the eve of a new album and like a new tour like can you imagine all the logistics that would go into changing their name and all the documents so uh, not only did they change their name they released a new music video for their song March March and they said we actually want to meet this movement we're not waiting for the movement to meet us we want to just drop our name um, and of course, all these conservative commentators freaked out about the name change, saying like, it was political correctness, etc. And I love the way they responded to it. Like, all three members, they staged dramatic readings of the craziest takes over it's Zoom. It's so
1: good. Just, <clears throat> I love They're them. so good at trolling,
0: like, people who hate them.
1: Yeah. They make it... Well, the people who hate them make it so easy. So easy. It's like,
0: political correct.
1: What? Shut up. And it's also um, just like... I- Taking the word Dixie out of the name doesn't take away from their music, their talent, their fan base, their like legacy. It just doesn't, it's still all there just because you take out the name Um, and that's okay. Like that's a good thing. That means that we can take away these symbols and like make a statement. And it also doesn't erase everything that they've done either. So, you know.
0: And also the way they said they wanted to meet the movement or meet the moment. um, It wasn't as if they they were responding to you know people being angry about them it was them having like a real reflection about what their name means and saying we actually just want to you know come ahead of it and actually remove this name and i think that's that's a really good approach um we're going to take another break and when we come back we're going to talk about another example of a name change that is not going as well Welcome back, folks. Um, Okay, we were talking about name changes and how um, the Dixie Chicks became the Chicks in June of 2020. And the reason, one of the reasons why they changed their name is because another uh, country band changed their name. Now, Miriam,
1: do you want to get into this a little bit? (laughs) Um, I mean, I just remember listening to this Lady Antebellum song a lot, Uh, Need You Now. Uh, This was, you know, angsty. Young me, who had had no heartbreaks or anything in her life to <laughs> apply this to, but still would stare out the window all angsty and, and sad. Like um, this is that
0: was me, and we belong together by Mariah Carey, which came out um, when I was twelve years old. Yeah, yeah. And I just I would blast it, and I was like, I have no idea what this feeling is, but I get it.
1: No, um, see, that was Avril had that same effect on me. Yeah, well. As if that's shocking to anybody. <laughs> um, <laughs> Avril Levine really spoke to me. Um <laughs> Fallout Boy, um uh, oh Panic the whole of the Disco by Raman, like Panic of the Disco, Fallout Boy,
0: Gym Class Heroes.
1: Yeah, yeah. That whole era of music, that's where I felt things for the first time I oh didn't understand goodness. that weren't rooted in real experience. Panic of the Disco concert right now oh apparently they're not good live i've this is oh, what really? i've been told but then i hear conflicting opinions heard they're not great live i would rather see fallout boy live because pete wentz is my wentz. first I'm crush um anyways we digress, we digress. um
0: oh, oh i do think that there should be a broadway show uh, comprised of panic at the disco songs i think it should be based oh it'd be wedding. so good right end of act one should be um I write sins not tragedies and that's like the end of the first act and then the second act is like the aftermath of what Brandon Urey
1: did uh Kinky Boots um oh yeah he did Kinky Boots he has the experience he has that yeah and he I think they like have that energy their music has that energy that it could translate so well to a Broadway setting um which is why I think he why he thrived in that role um yeah they should definitely credit us if they do it though like yeah
0: make sure that our name is
1: Somewhat related. What to- if they're our first sponsors? What if can they sponsor us? Does that work? Just, are we <laughs> well, no, sponsored we by panic at, Dix- <laughs> panic at the Disco? Panic at the Disco. Dixie. Um, I.
0: I mean, we could. We should ask them. Let's just email yeah, yeah. them. Yeah, we'll see what Brendan is feeling right now.
1: Um, Brendan okay. at Panic at the Disco <laughs> dot com. That's, that's his email address. <laughs> dot. Uh, dot info. I don't know. We'll, that, we'll figure it out. Work um okay so
0: lady antebellum so what they did they changed their name because you know they realized the word antebellum refers to the antebellum south kind of in the same way that the dixie chicks changed their name they didn't want to they didn't want their name to refer to the antebellum south anymore so they said we're going to be called lady a they did this without checking to see if there's another lady a out there
1: she so fast out, google
0: a fast I mean, google or like aspca which has the name of like recording artists in the u.s like that's like a, an easy way to find out if there's someone making money off the name lady a um turns out it's a she's a black blue singer named anita white and she's been lady a for over 20 years and for her she was like I, it's great that you're trying to be you know you're trying to be anti-racist and you're trying to really look into what the name of your band means but if you call yourself Lady A now, you're going to be the top of the Spotify searches, the Google searches. You know, people are not gonna be able to find my name. So at first, when it became evident to uh, to Lady Antebellum, they thought about being cordial. They set up like a Skype meeting or a Zoom meeting. They even screenshot it and put it online and said, we're working with Lady A, the blues singer. We're going to make sure everything turns out okay. And uh, Lady A, Anita White said, fine, if you want to keep your name, then you can pay me $10 million to have it." <laughs> Which to me sounds like the beginning of a negotiation position. I don't think she actually wanted t- $10 million. I think she was just like, I'm gonna say 10 million, you counter." But the ban immediately said no, and then they filed a lawsuit against her, seeking no monetary damages, but saying that the court needs to affirm their trademark on the name Lady A. They say they want to protect themselves from future litigation. And Lady A has since said that they're using this new name, Lady A, because of a Black Lives Matter incident that for them is just a moment in time. If it mattered, it would have mattered to them before. It shouldn't have taken George Floyd to die for them to realize that their name had a slave reference to it. And, you know, this entire, like, st- incident, I don't want to call it incident, um, this entire event with Lady Antebellum and this blue singer, Lady A., kind of is connected to something I'm seeing a lot right now, which um, is how some people are incentivized by like the, the, the value of what something will look like rather than what it actually is. Yeah. So kind of taking steps to change your name from Lady Antebellum to Lady A, that's, that looks great. That looks like you're trying to meet the, mo- the moment that you're trying to be anti-racist, but then what it actually is might be, removing the income from a singer called Lady A who's had that name for 20 years and she's a Black singer and and it's clear you're not really thinking deeply about your positions and your choices when it comes to being anti-racist or trying not to be you know racist yeah I
1: think I agree I if you are I mean yeah to your point I think if in your effort to be with the times and moving forward and letting go of these of the racist um you know history of your name and in doing that you are squashing a black artist yeah you've you've really missed the point here the
0: point really missed the point point. You haven't done the reading
1: yeah you haven't there's so many instagram posts with reading lists someone should just dm them to lady antebellum be like (laughs) here's some basics like we recommend you start with this this is heavy reading. There's also some like articles out there. We'll send you a Ted talk, but like, yeah, you're really missing the point. And I think that it's, you can't remove the like privilege that lady antebellum has over lady a right now. Like on every single level, they have an advantage over her and uh, they're really exploiting that. And um, she's within her right to, to negotiate and uh, advocate for herself. So, um, yeah, I think that I agree with you. It's just like, <laughs> well, they really missed the point. You, if you really cared
0: about Black Lives Matter and social justice, you wouldn't be so unwilling to come to a compromise with Lady A. Yeah, Or even just change your name again. Like, you've only been Lady A for about a month. Your fans yeah. will still be there if you become Lady B, Lady C, <laughs> Lady D. I don't care. Yeah. Um, your fans will still be there and you can change your merch. It's going to be fine. Everyone will understand that, like, you made a different decision. And I, I wonder... Because you know the Dixie Chicks are often considered the first group to ever be canceled in American culture. I I disagree with that, but a lot of people there's loads of headlines like the first people to ever be canceled in the modern internet were the Dixie Chicks. Interesting. Um, I wonder if it's because they were quote unquote canceled um, and had to go through that that horrible time between 2003 and 2006. I wonder if that's what made it so easy for them to just change their name and just move on. If for some reason. The chicks, like there was an there was an issue with the name the chicks. I, it seems to me that Natalie and her other band members would be like, oh, there's a there's something wrong, oh, I've made a mistake. I'm just going to apologize and we'll change the name again. And I wonder if it's their like their experience having been on you know the wrong side of so many people's feelings that makes them kind of immune to feeling that deeply about something like a name.
1: Interesting. Yeah. I I also. Maybe. I also just think that uh, they have, and I think they're very cognizant that they've built a brand and they've built a presence, which is really rooted in integrity. Um, And they are committed to continuing to live those values. So I think that changing the name to The Chicks, and then if they had had to change the name again, they would have done it also because that's just who they've been for so many years. It's so long. Um, but Aisha, I want to circle back to something you said earlier, which was that uh, many people consider the Dixie Chicks, the Chicks, to be the first uh, celebrities to really be canceled. And yeah. uh, one, can you like explain what that means? But two, also, I'm curious to hear why you don't agree with that or who you think really was one of the ones before them who were canceled.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, cancel culture. The, the, the phrase cancel culture is, is hard to explain in this day and age, but I think... Yeah. When you think about what happened with the Dixie Chicks, it was an entire industry moving against them to kind of make sure that they do not get any recognition, they don't get fans, they don't get money, sponsorship, etc. And it was really quite public in 2003. I feel like something similar happened to Janet Jackson literally the next year in 2004 when she performed at the Super Bowl with with Justin Timberlake and that whole incident happened and she wasn't allowed to be booked on so many shows. I don't know if I would say it was the first incident of celebrity cancel culture. I think it's happened so many times in the past, especially in the U.S. Like uh, when I think about Vanessa Williams, Mm. who she was the first black, I think, Miss USA. And then it turns out she had done some nude uh, photography and then her crown was taken away from her. That is something that happened before then. Um, I think it's, it's, it's within the public's right, I guess, to decide what they want to consume and what they want to listen to
1: yeah
0: and i guess when it takes on the form of like a movement when an entire industry wants to do it or people in power want to do it i guess that's when it's considered quote unquote cancel culture yeah um but for me when i think about cancel culture i, I always try and think about what it wh- what kind of cancellation are we talking about is it yeah financial cancellation? Is it legal cancellation is it social cancellation like for an ordinary person like you or I, if if our uh, employer decides to uh, fire us at will, that's like financial cancellation in some way yeah. because then you can't, you know, pay your bills and that would hurt more than like a group of friends saying, oh, I don't want to talk to Aisha anymore. But for a celebrity, um, someone like JK Rowling, who uh, pretty recently has said some very um, transphobic statements and she's really... She's really, like, putting her foot in it. Like, she's not just, like... She won't back off. It. She won't back down. Someone like her, I don't think she can ever fully be financially cancelled because she's so big. Yeah. Her platform is so huge. But there might be a social cancellation where people stop inviting her to things. You know, people make comments about how they don't want her in places. And for someone like her, she seems to equate that, that sort of social cancellation with, you know, the end. Like, sh- she seems to think that that's people being unreasonable. But I think that, like, with celebrities, like social capital, like a social, what's it called? I guess like your fans are your capital in -hmm. many ways. So if your fans decide to choose that they don't want to listen to your stuff or read your stuff in in some ways, then, I don't know, a lot of celebrities feel attacked by that. And when it seems organized by internet communities who have a much stronger voice than they did in the 90s and the 80s, Like, when a whole group of, like, your Tumblr fans decide, I don't actually agree with what you say, it can seem like your whole livelihood is falling apart. But really, it's the right of the fans to to think that way and to do so, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, and I think that... It's just, like,
0: consequences culture is what I've read, and I kind of, I really agree with that. It's just the consequences of your words. You're still allowed to say things, but we might
1: decide not to
0: spend our money on your stuff. As a result
1: of what yeah and it 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 boggles my mind that people are shocked that they get canceled um you know i'm like and i think the other thing to call out is that there is a spectrum right there's a spectrum of behavior that can get you canceled um and also cancellation isn't always permanent like so okay there's a lot of different levels right so you have (laughs) there's so many things in that right so you've got people who tweeted something homophobic 10 years ago all the way to you know a Harvey Weinstein or an R Kelly character who is a sexual predator. I would argue that that's a pretty that's a pretty significant spectrum of behavior. Um, so I think there's there's that first level. Then there's the level of um, did they was their apology real? Did they take actual steps? Um, do they still do this now? Um, they seem I would argue remorseful. Yeah, Yeah, I I think I mean again, like you have to contextualize it in that spectrum. Like I don't believe sexual predators like can be like I won't do it again. Like I think once you've done that, like you've done that, and you, uh, you know, I don't I don't think there's rehabilitation for that. I might disagree with you. Interesting. Um, Let's circle back. Yeah, it depends because even within that, being a sexual predator is, you know, there's like someone who gets too handsy at a party, and then there's There's, someone. There's Louis
0: C.K. and Harvey Weinstein.
1: Yes. Um. Although Louis C.K. is disgusting, so like he's someone who just hasn't apologized like he just does not want yeah. to he does he, not which want to is which is why about. i like i i can't i can't support his comeback if he has one and i think he might he, try and
0: he, well he's been trying in eastern europe this is the problem is that
1: no, no <laughs> not many venues in the u.s will have him so he's like going
0: to all these random places in poland and i think like israel to perform and he's getting sold out shows there so um people are like oh yeah we canceled louis ck and i'm like no i think he's doing fine just not
1: Well, this is, this is the point, right? Is that like, so we canceled, we've canceled Kevin Spacey and R. Kelly, and I think rightfully so. And let's see if it holds. So far, I think it's held pretty steadily. Like people are not, like, we don't hear about them anymore, them putting out new stuff. People are not like supporting them. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you've got people like Kanye and Michael Jackson, who are just such large presences that they've, been canceled in a sense but also it's impossible to cancel them um to your point with jk rowling like harry potter's everywhere like there is a level of cancellation you can do but it's just it's impossible to fully cancel someone like that um and then a lot of it isn't permanent right like the dixie chicks were were canceled if people are going to say that they were the first uh celebrities that were canceled and they're still the top of the charts and they still are the are record setting and um, I read this, you know, really cool anecdote about how, um, you know, she went to a Taylor Swift concert with her daughter years later and Taylor Aww. Swift started playing a Dixie Chick song, like, with her there. And cute. it's really cute. Like, so they stayed at institutions. So cancellation, I also think, is rarely truly permanent. Um, and I, I think that you're right. I think ultimately, like, in our everyday life, like, we can choose what we consume. Um, so, like, I haven't watched a Woody Allen movie in a long time because I just feel <laughs> icky about it. Yeah. I, other people are going to, that's, that's their prerogative. Like we all have to set our own boundaries with it. Um, so I don't know, I think it's really think complicated.
0: It's just kind of with what you said about boundaries, I think what's most important is, you know if you decide not to support Woody Allen you know why you just dis- decided that? Yeah, you know, like you're able to say this. The reason I don't support him is because of the accusations of sexual assault by his daughter, and the fact that he married an adopted child, and all sorts of weird things that he said and done. uh But I think where it goes wrong is if you just say, "Oh, I don't support Woody Allen," and then then someone asks, "Oh, why?" And you're like, "I don't know, just because everyone else says so." I think everyone says he's yeah. That's when it can get rough because I feel like you should be able to know why you don't support someone, and you should be able to like investigate these things and find out.
1: Yeah I read an interesting point about this which was I think we get some like cathartic release from canceling someone or like being a part of a movement of like you know we're done with so and so. Being on the right side. Feeling like you're on the
0: right side of something feels so good. Yeah
1: and but like if we're not willing to confront how that person became famous in the first place or how maybe they got away with it for so long or like how it might be a symptom of a much larger problem. Like if you're not willing to examine those things and you're just like, well, I'm going to cancel Chris Brown um, and that's that. And you're not willing to examine the fact that like what it is um, to the the abusive relationships that can happen within romantic um, partnerships, um, how he got away with it for so long, the music that he put out for a long time that you listened to that um you maybe ignored the problematic elements of it's just easier to jump on the bandwagon and be like yeah i'm not gonna listen to chris brown anymore and not think about any of the rest of it
0: i guess what we're both trying to say here is when you cancel cancel with purpose
1: yes <laughs> cancellation is fine your people deserve to be canceled You're entitled to it You're entitled yeah to it.
0: um so i guess our conclusion for today is go listen to uh, some dixie some chicks go listen to chicks. the chicks uh their new album is out july 17th which is tuesday
1: yeah very soon um no, it's so, tuesday, what is today no it's today's the 12th so
0: oh thursday friday,
1: friday. friday?
0: You, can count. <laughs> you can count friday um and uh support jack antonoff just for me
1: <laughs> yeah jack antonoff album. is amazing um i listen to the song gaslighter is out yeah, right now so on fun. spotify and um, I'm gonna throw it out there. I think Gaslighter might be the country version of Lemonade.
0: Okay, I rebuke that, Miriam, because no, you're not it's comparing tr-
1: Lemonade to something else. You're just—it's its own thing. No, no, no. But I think explain, that if you look explain. at the okay, so if you look at the way that um, they have these cryptic themes of infidelity, but are they talking about infidelity? Um, she drops these like crumbs of a boat, oh, yeah. uh, heard her ex-husband boat. had a boat. Yeah. Like I think in the same way that Beyonce like, dropped these crumbs and like the fans were desperately trying to put together the story of what happened, <laughs> she's done the same thing with Gaslighter. I'm just pointing it out. So okay, and the entire album like, apparently has like themes like that. I, Lemonade is its own level, obviously, um, and it's its own institution, but I think she drew a lot of inspiration from, from, from that from spending album. time with Beyonce at the CMAs. Yeah. Well and let's I think wait
0: until the album comes out and then we'll listen to it and we'll see what what the crumbs are. But um, yeah.
1: thanks everyone. We'll see you next week. Uh, don't forget to uh, subscribe to us. We're on Spotify. We are are we on Apple Podcasts? We're on yet? Apple Podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts. We are on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> Podcast, guys. Finally so made you can it. also
0: rate, review, subscribe, please. So we can get and some
1: sponsors so that
0: tell your moms about us. I'm sure they'd love to listen.
1: We're so wholesome. Two
0: good Muslim girls
1: just talking about <laughs> culture. Um, don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Kind uh, of Funny Pod. There you go. Yeah. And we'll see you next Monday. Bye. Bye. <laughs>